What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Utilization Report Debrief slash Sheesh Report. Glad you could be here. My name is Marcus Grant, joined as always by Dwayne McFarlane and Ian Harditz. We are through the divisional round. Uh, gentlemen, I know we talked about this last week. Ian, I don't know if you came up with a cutesy name for the divisional round in the last in the week since we last spoke. Did not get there. I think that was my alarm to try to figure it out. Though. <laughs> so happy that uh, we can finally get done with that. But Championship Sunday, guys, and that's always been the problem. We had Super Wild Card Round, Championship Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, we've nailed three of them. Maybe 2024 is the time we get the divisional round. So it's like, uh, you know, Billy Madison, 306, not Billy Madison, Happy Gilmore, 364 more days to get that divisional round nickname right. Right. Without us taking fastballs to the chest in a batting <laughs> cage. That's uh, that's the upside there. Uh, we do have plenty to talk about. We're going to dive into what happened over the divisional weekend. We are down to the final four teams in the NFL. So we've got some shishas. we got some utilization stuff. we got all kind of things uh, to talk about over the next little bit. But uh, let's start with the 49ers. Uh, they do not play the best game, but they figure out a way to get by the Green Bay Packers. That's the good news. The bad news is Debo Samuel is dealing with an injury right now and does not have a fracture, but we still aren't sure whether or not he's going to be good enough to go uh, coming up this week against the Detroit Lions. And Ian, you were looking at the numbers, and there is a vast difference, it seems, in Brock Purdy's performance with Debo and without Debo. In the full games, there absolutely is. Because at this point, we have now actually got to seven. There were actually three such instances last year where Purdy had to play without Debo. And then this year, that Packers game ended up being the fourth, if we're just looking at, you know, under 10 snaps. So, yeah, guys, like we're talking about someone that literally goes from being the most efficient quarterback in NFL history. I mean, that is what Purdy is, yards per attempt, passer rating, you name it. He is actually the best in a smallish sample to someone whose stats are far closer to someone like Desmond Ritter than any of us would prefer started to throw astray at Desmond Ritter there. I just can't help it guys it was a long regular season but seriously I mean in these seven games we're talking about an 80.6 passer rating a 10 to 7 touchdown to interception ratio with Debo Samuel 119.5 passer rating and 38 to 7 touchdown to interception ratio so I will say the one thing that still remains pretty elite despite you know not having Debo on the field is yards per attempt Purdy is still north of eight in terms of those seven games without Debo on the field so I think that's the moral of the story here is that yes we see 49ers quarterbacks whether it's Jimmy G Nick Mullins or now Brock Purdy keep on keeping on with the yards per attempt really no matter what and isn't that kind of the point of passing the football at the end the day that said guys when we do get into conversations because we force ourselves to rank these quarterbacks and figure out just how good each one is I don't think it's a coincidence that those three quarterbacks Jimmy G Mullins and Brock Purdy are literally top five in terms of yards per attempt over the past 20 years so really Dwayne I think when it comes down to Purdy versus Debo yes obviously Purdy just like any other quarterback out there would love to have the assistance of his number one weapon alongside him that said just in terms of moving the ball up and down the field maybe it's not as pretty still generally more effective than most other offenses out there yeah and it was so interesting and you hit me up about this and we were making the show sheet this morning because we just went at it at two different angles of and i think both are legit ways you could attack what does brock purdy look like with and without debo samuel and i just did it at a snap level like when debo wasn't on the field period for the last two years how different were those numbers versus when debo was on the field and uh, some of the same takeaways you know is what you have here 
you know, when you look at the, the touchdowns being one of the bigger things, 9.1% of his passing attempts went for a touchdown with Debo on the field. That drops to 7.4% without Debo. But 7.4, for any of you guys that do research on touchdowns per attempt, is still an astronomical number. Like, five <laughs> and elite. a half is good. <laughs> and 7.4% is still elite. Like, if you think about the best seasons like Mahomes has ever had, uh, Aaron Rodgers, these guys, like, they get in that 9% range. And so, with Debo, that's where Purdy's at. Without him, he's more at like a really good version of like Russell Wilson back in the day, right? When he was just having, a, whenever most of his points came off of touchdowns. But the other thing is like the completion rate doesn't drop that much, you know, 69% with Debo down to 66% without him. And then you brought it up, Ian, yards per attempt. That is the number one stat at a player level that we can just correlate to wins in football. And that is not that big of a difference. In fact, it goes up without Debo. So there's also variance, 8.9 yards per attempt without Debo, 9.2, or sorry, with Debo, 9.2 yards per attempt without him. So we're dealing with a smaller sample, to your point. I think we would all agree you're not as good without Debo on the field. And the big thing for the 49ers is he is their zone beater. He is the guy that gets most of the targets. So anytime that defense says, fine, we're going to back off. We're not going to let Kittle beat us over the top. We're going to take Brandon Ayuk away. Most teams, like, and it can be third and long, most teams, you can just shut off that part of your brain if you're a defensive coordinator and say, I'm not worried about like a two-yard tunnel screen. But with Debo, you still have to worry about it. So when you go to that zone play... It's a, it is a big comfort for Brock Purdy to know that I can still I can drop back on third and long and throw it under the sticks, and my guy's most likely going to get it. And when I say throw it under the sticks, by like five yards, Debo's going to go do the rest. So I do think it is a big impact. And obviously, anytime Brock Purdy's sitting there and he's reading the defense and he knows, he knows if he has zone or man, he, a lot of times he just knows immediately, I'm going to Ayuk or I'm going to Debo. When you take Debo away, I do think it makes that process a little bit different. And that's the other big thing that I did notice in the sample. 4.7% of his passes were picked off without Debo. 1.5% when Debo's on the field. So I do think there's potentially something there with the way Purdy's having to process information. But again, pretty small sample for fantasy purposes. If you're just thinking of this weekend, how you're approaching DFS, uh, maybe even prop bets, things like that. I don't think we should expect too much less from Purdy than what we've seen. But whether or not they can win this game, I do think that there's an impact with Debo being out. Uh, yeah, we're going to see. And I know the Niners are going to try to do everything they can to get him ready. Uh, beyond that, they got plenty of other weapons that they can turn to. You mentioned Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, so on and so forth. We will talk about them a little bit later in the show when we start diving into some utilization there. Uh, meanwhile, in Tennessee, the Titans look like they have a new head coach. Uh, it's going to be Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. And uh, Dwayne, we were sort of talking. We, at first, it was like I, I had the same reaction as Ian. I read this and I was like, oh, they hired him to be the OC. Okay. Um, but wait. Uh, and then we realized, <laughs> that, no, they hired him to be the head coach. Uh, so what was your takeaway when you saw this? Look, I don't want to just bash on Brian Callahan. It's just kind of funny, though, that we've got Bill Belichick, Jim Harbaugh, like uh, some of the greatest candidates we've had available. I think that uh, Brian Johnson or – man, I always mess ben. up the Johnsons. There's Ben, <laughs> ben and there's Johnson, Brian. Yeah. The one in Detroit, <laughs> I just mess it up probably. But, like, even uh, Bobby Slowick, like, I like all those guys over Brian Callahan. And, again, this is not trying to fire shots at Brian, at Brian Callahan. Like, he's worked under some good uh, coordinators. I think he's got a pretty diverse background. He's worked under Gary Kubiak. So that means he should know how to, to get under center, run 12, 21 personnel, bootlegs, play action. 
all that kind of stuff. John Gruden, similar, had some of that stuff, but then you get more of the West Coast con- concepts and the passing game integrated with what you have with Kubiak. And he's got five seasons as offensive, five seasons as offensive coordinator under Zach Taylor. But honestly, that's probably the least impressive part of his resume because he's got Joe Burrow and he's got three really good wide receivers. And the Bengals, all they did, to be honest, was run out and three wide and just said, Joe Burrow's going to beat you. They didn't use a lot of motion. Um, they ranked uh, 27th in the league. Only 41% of their snaps used motion this year. Uh, 11 personnel, yeah, they run that out there a lot with three wide receivers. They rank fifth in that. But play action, another cheat code for quarterbacks, only 10%. That's 25th in the league. And I will caveat that. Some quarterbacks do not play it like play action. They don't want to turn their back to the ball. So that could be a Joe Burrow thing. Burrow just might not want to do that and they adapted the offense to really fit what burrow liked as his strength so don't want to totally throw that on callahan but then trick look plays another way that you can just confuse the defense at the line of scrimmage rank 28th in that um so there is really one of these offenses where they just ran a lot of rpo marcus 21 percent. that's fourth in the league and honestly we've seen a lot of these teams unless you've got an elite running quarterback they've not really been as successful with rpo lately we saw this happen even with the eagles with jalen Hurts still as a good rusher at the end of the season and they've got multiple weapons it does seem like the nfl defenses are starting to pick up on that on the other hand the teams that have been more willing to stay balanced run the ball use a lot of motion a lot of play action those are the offenses that are thriving right now in the postseason so I know it's in his bag. He's coached under guys that have shown him how to do those things. I just worry with Callahan. What can he do coming to Tennessee? They need a quarterback still. They're not loaded to play with three wide receivers. So I think he's going to have to really show us that he can adapt to the players that are available. And it's just funny to me, though, like with Bill Belichick and these other guys available, how is Brian Callahan like getting hired by the (laughs) Titans before some of these other names? But, uh, you know, hey, best of luck to him. And I hope that he does turn the offense around. Yeah, I mean, good luck, And but I think you hit on some of the big keys there. They still have a lot of pieces they got to find. The, the jury's still out on Will Levis, uh, DeAndre Hopkins getting up there in age. We're still waiting for Traylon Burks to do anything. Um, they very well may not have Derrick Henry next year. So there's a lot of holes that have to be plugged there in Tennessee. So we'll see uh, you know, what they do from a player personnel standpoint and then how Brian Callahan draws it up. Uh, and, and Real uh... – yeah, Marcus, real quick, I saw a crazy stat. Shout out to uh, ESPN's Mike Clay. Oh, he's bringing the heat. But with this move, now there has been no active offensive coordinator who was hired prior to 2022. I mean, the fact that these coordinators wow. are just coming in and out, finding a job, getting fired from a job, I do think there should be some level of concern that Callahan wasn't the one in Cincinnati calling plays. I mean, we saw what happened with Philly in terms of Shane Steichen and obviously Jonathan Gannon leaving, two guys where I know the Gannon hire especially was almost being mocked around the league, especially after we saw the initial social media bumps going on with that and everything but it's just wild like as much as player movement is out at an all-time high the coach and carousel is just getting more and more mad so to Dwayne's point I mean the toughest part is just like what was the need for them to make this higher right now you know what I'm saying <laughs> like we still have the Ravens and obviously Mike McDonald's going to be a big name Ben Johnson with the Lions who we brought up as Dwayne said Harbaugh and obviously Bill Belichick out there like I really don't think that there's someone else knocking down Brian Callahan's door <laughs> trying to make this happen I understand the need to potentially you know be quick with these other names out there because there are other teams still waiting to fill that head coach vacancy but doesn't make a lot of sense and I think we all agree that when they fired Mike Vrabel in the first place it kind of left us all scratching our heads so not exactly an organization that has earned the benefit of the doubt in recent years and I don't think this decision really moves them any moves that needle any further yeah no it's definitely a weird one as you mentioned I think the timing of it uh, is maybe stranger than, than anything else with all the other yeah. names still out there. But 
Uh, best of luck to, to Brian Callahan. Best of luck to the Tennessee Titans. And uh, we wait to see what next year brings. Um, we saw what last week brought. And for some folks, I'm sure it left them a little bit frustrated, upset, dis- disfigured. No, not disfigured. Uh, befuddled? Maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Um, Mark has got morbid ho- there. Ho- disfigured. Hopefully not disfigured. Hopefully everything uh, is still where it should be. But in the meantime, this is a really long way to get into the Sheesh Report, which uh, Ian Harditz writes every week and you can find over at FantasyLife.com. And uh, this week you just have your top five sheeshes of the divisional round, right? Might be my last time joining you guys. Just not quite as much sheesh these days. But with four games last weekend, it still did have enough to talk about. So quick top five for you all, starting off with number five. Guys, James Cook, someone that we've talked about a lot on this show. The utilization has been there. He's had the opportunities, just hasn't done a great job catching the football this year. Dropped his fourth touchdown this past weekend. This one would have been good from seven yards out. So Josh Allen ran it in for a score a few plays later. Didn't end up, you know, just affecting the outcome of the game or anything like that. But certainly, you know, for James Cook, anytime touchdown betters out there would have been a lot cooler if we caught that. At number four, we had the Packers drop not one, but two absolutely breadbasket Brock Purdy interceptions. I mean, the first one, the defender looked like he was even surprised himself that the ball hit him in the chest and later also sailed one high. So, yes, we do see, you know, drop interceptions throughout the week. Goff had one. Jordan Love had one himself. But Purdy really, really did get lucky there and not have a single INT to his name last weekend also guys kickers being kickers i mean my god looking at both the packers and the bills missing kicks inside of 45 yards like we're not even talking like 50 plus in crazy conditions i know it was raining a little bit in san fran but inside 45 yards tyler bass anders carlton beat better your job is just to literally kick a football number two that damar hamlin fake punt i mean my god like would have been a moment for the ages if he got it but yeah wasn't even close from your own 30 and the fact that Chiefs had 10 players on the field and you still couldn't execute it. Just absolutely inexcusable. And Sean McDermott is so lucky that Miko Hardman fumbled the football the following drive. Otherwise, I think we'd be looking at this with a hell of a lot more scrutiny. But guys, I think we all know number one sheesh of the divisional round. Stefan Diggs got open deep down the sideline. Josh Allen throws one of the furthest balls I've ever seen, like actually be accurate, not just in a Hail Mary sort of situation. Hit Diggs all the way downfield for a potential 60-yard gain. Went right through his hands, though. So I know it's just one Sunday, Monday after another. Dwayne's been here. You know, I've been here. Marcus has been here telling you guys the target share. You know, he's getting the opportunities. It should be fine. Had the opportunity. Couldn't come down with it. Sheesh. I would say the back half of Stefan Diggs' season has been kind of one big sheesh because it just it, it he, he's just sort of faded into Bolivian to uh, quote Mike Tyson uh, in the back <laughs> half of the season. And so we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, going to be a long off season for the Bills. They try to figure some things out for sure. Uh, Ian, always appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we see you next week. If not, I totally get it. But uh, rock on, dude. Appreciate you, fellas. All right. See go you, uh, over. Go over to FantasyLife.com. You can check out the entirety of the Sheesh Report there. In the meantime, uh, four teams, one goal. Make it to Las Vegas in just a few short weeks. With all eyes on the prize, we've teamed up with DraftKings, an official partner of the NFL, to get you in on the action. Right now, new customers who bet just $5 will get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Yes, Instantly download the DraftKings app now and sign up using promo code DEBRIEF for your shot at the crown. That's right. New customers who bet just $5 will get $200 in bonus bets instantly. Now, wondering what you can use your $200 in bonus bets on? Combine multiple bets together from the same game for a shot at an even bigger payout. 
If you're already signed up for DraftKings, you can get a no-sweat bet. Get a bonus bet back if your same-game parlay or SGPX doesn't hit. Max reward limits apply. If all if sports betting is not yet available in your state, don't worry. You can still join in on the fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy and have the chance to win cash prizes. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use promo code DEBRIEF. Bet just $5 on any wager and get $200 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code DEBRIEF only at DraftKings Sportsbook. The crown is yours. All right, let's dive in. Uh, the utilization report is up as always over at Fantasy Life. Uh, Dwayne combing through everything with the, over the four games that we had this past weekend. Uh, so let's just run through uh, a few of them. Travis Kelsey. We've been waiting for the Travis Kelsey game to kind of happen. It had been a while, and it, it happened. We got Travis Kelsey looking like Travis Kelsey again. Yeah, he's, he's really flipped the switch for the playoffs. Now, also, the Buffalo Bills were dealing with a lot of injuries <laughs> across linebackers, safeties. And so I think the Chiefs knew that going in. Uh, but you don't have to know that. All you have to know is that you have Travis Kelsey, you know, Marcus, and that he is still a really good tight end. I know people were worried about him because, look, he is 34 years old. And if you look from weeks 13 to 17, especially if you play fantasy football, 9.6 points per game. That's not what you signed up for whenever you took <laughs> Travis Kelsey. Only an 18% target share. But over these last two games, it has been much better for Kelsey in the playoffs. In the wild card round, had a 31% target share, 29% this weekend in the divisional round. And so he's had a 30% target share over the last two games. And in, in, in the divisional round, popped for 25 fantasy points. So I just dug a little bit deeper into, into Kelsey. Now, we've talked about his age plenty, so we can just leave that alone. But his 14.7 points per game in the regular season this year that's his lowest mark since 2016. So again, that got people, I think, just worried. Okay, is this the end? Like he was good in the early part of the season, but now he's not as the end hit in the middle of the season. But I dug a little deeper, Marcus. And even when you look at his uh, his underlying data here, a 22% target share and 1.96 yards per route run in his age 34 season, that's not that far off from his three-year average. Okay, his yards per route run over the last three years is at 2.18, and his targets per and his target share is at 22%. So exactly in line with what he did this year. I think this is one of those things where we've got to be careful. You just get into these, uh, you know, these four or five week lulls, and people want to extrapolate too much. They want to say, "Oh God, suddenly they're not the same player." And we talk about this all the time. The reality, the reality of it is, okay, you can come into a tough stretch as far as defense as you're playing, or they're a better matchup to play with Kelsey, or they just decide, hey, everybody decides, we're just going to focus on taking away Travis Kelsey, and we're going to make Rasheed Rice beat us. And then what happened? Rasheed Rice started beating people over that <laughs> same stretch of games. Rasheed Rice went nuclear. And now what are teams doing? Buffalo comes in like, man, who's this Rasheed Rice guy? We better try to take him away. Number four is going all over the place. And then what does that do? That frees up Travis Kelsey. So both of these are, are, are really good players for the Chiefs. We'll get to the rest of their offense here in a little bit. You know, not, <laughs> not as good. But yeah, Travis Kelsey uh, and then looking at Rasheed Rice, the two centerpieces, obviously, to this offense with Patrick Mahomes. And man, they have their work cut out for him this next weekend against a really, really tough Ravens defensive unit. Yeah, you mentioned we will talk about the rest of the, the Chiefs uh, wide receivers, the rest of that offense there. But I will say this, the guys that you needed to show up on offense showed up on offense 
uh, yep. in that game against Buffalo. Patrick Mahomes looked looked more like what we've used to seeing. Uh, Travis Kelsey coming back as well, so that is a big part. Oh, you're not including Miko Hartman in that group? Uh, oh. No, Miko Hartman, it was, like, it was like, you know, Kadarius <laughs> Tony couldn't be there, so Miko Hartman, you know, like you go to a play and there's the understudy. Like, Miko was kind of the Kadarius understudy of like. I want to, <laughs> I want to go back and do like a cut up over the years of all the times Patrick Mahomes just throwing his hands up and kind of having that <laughs> half cock head look. Like, you know, like a dog that walks up to you, is kind of looking at you and is like, eh, like, what are you doing up there? That's always his look when he throws a ball to Miko Hartman. And basically, it's telling you he went the wrong direction. He didn't keep his speed up, you know, running. He didn't finish right. the route, all these sort of things. And I, I don't know. It's just amazing to me that the Chiefs found a way to, you know, this guy got cut by the Jets. Right. Okay. To put this in perspective, like the Jets, go look at their receiving roster after Garrett Wilson. There's no one. This dude got cut by them. That's how bad Miko Hardman is. But anyway, we can move forward, Mark. <laughs> Miko Hardman rant out of the way there. Yeah. Um, Lamar Jackson, again, look, chances are he's going to lock down his second ever NFL MVP award and came through. And I really feel like, Dwayne, what we saw from him this weekend was kind of a case in watching the game versus looking at the box score. Because you see the box score, he threw for 152 yards. Like It doesn't seem that great. But on top of what he did, running the ball for 100 yards and a couple touchdowns, uh, this was an incredibly complete Lamar Jackson game. Yeah, Lamar Jackson is really playing great football down the stretch. Duh, no one needs me to tell them this, but uh, you know, just to restate the obvious, you know, you talked about his ability on the ground and like, and you guys can go check this out over at fantasylife.com. You go to utilization suite of tools, you click on season long, and you can actually sort by any of these data points. And so just looking at quarterbacks that have played at least 450 snaps, no one has a higher percentage outside of Jalen Hurts of their team's design rushing attempts, 18% for Lamar Jackson. And then his scramble rate of 11% is number one of quarterbacks with that number, with that many dropbacks. So he's still highly integrated into the ground game, obviously still being very efficient, doing his thing, breaking off long runs, knows, knows when to time those things up. Oh, you want to play a bunch of man coverage and blitz me without a spy? Bye. See you later. <laughs> you know, Lamar's going to take off. So he, he's he's always done those things well, though. But, man, the improvement in the passing game is really what I have to point out to. You know, it's eight yards per attempt now on the season. That's the best in his career, Marcus. 67% completion rate, also the best in his, in his career. And I know this is a highly debated topic right now, PFF grades, but 85.5 passing grade from pro football focus. That is also a career high mark. So if you look at his 225 yards passing per game, that's his second best of his career behind the 240 yards per game that he had in 2021. But I think we all agree this is a better version of Lamar Jackson. That was just, oh, the Ravens suddenly passed the ball way more than we thought, but he wasn't hyper-efficient. This year, he's kind of got that blend, not quite back to the efficiency of the crazy season in 2019, but also uh, an offense that's being very efficient and they're throwing the ball a little bit more. So it's been a nice blend for him. Like you look at the Ravens offense, like 44%, man, of their drives in, in, a, in a score that ranks third in the NFL. But they're number one in defense and yards per play allowed at 4.6. So they don't always get into these scripts where they just have to throw the throw the ball all the time. But I do think Jackson has really shown us a new ceiling over these last few games, averaging 242 yards through the air and 2.6 touchdowns per game passing. So it's just really unlocked this whole new level. If you if you have a guy that can give you 50 to 60 rushing yards and a chance to score a touchdown on the ground every game, plus someone not not doesn't have to be an elite passer throwing for 300, 350 yards, but can throw for 200 
25 to 250 yards and give you two touchdowns per game through the air like you're going to have a high end QB one every time and that's what we're dealing with right now with Lamar he's averaging 29.2 fantasy points per game Marcus over the last five games it's funny because you know we always talk about how hard it is to be an elite level quarterback if you're mostly a pocket passer that doesn't run uh, that you have to be incredibly efficient throwing the football and I think for Lamar he's sort of the inverse of that where he runs so effectively he doesn't have to give you as you mentioned he doesn't have to give you 300 yards and three passing touchdowns in order to be a consistent fantasy scorer because he'll find another way to do it uh, and that's and I think it was um, postseason I think it was Kevin Cole that actually really did some good research on this a couple of years back but just looking at the EPA impact of these really good scrambling quarterbacks and a lot of people just think because it's a run that it's going to be less, but it's not because these quarterbacks find the right situations to do it. And more often than not, a guy like Lamar, he's also picking up the first down, right? And that's a big part of, uh, you know, getting that plus EPA going. So the guys like Lamar that know when to scramble can also do it for more than, you know, three or four yards. I mean, this guy's a threat to go for eight, 10 yards every time he takes off. He's a threat to score a touchdown every time he takes off. Like it's a, to your point, it's a major additive when you put that together, plus what he's doing through the air. So Lamar uh, playing well, getting the Ravens back to the AFC championship game. Meanwhile, the Niners back in the NFC championship game and Christian McCaffrey with a pair of touchdowns. And I, I saw your headline here. It's like Christian McCaffrey doesn't want to share. And I went and looked at these snap counts from and you're <laughs> damn. Yeah, I, he played, <laughs> played all but two offensive snaps. It was the Christian McCaffrey show this week. Yeah, man, 98% snap share, 76% rush share, which you're like, how does that even happen? Well, the quarterback, the quarterback runs like Brock Purdy. And in the playoffs, your quarterbacks are more willing to run and they're more willing to scramble. Um, you know, every, everything's on the line. You got to win the game. You just got to go get the yards, get the first down. So you're going to see more running from the quarterbacks, but no other running back touched the ball. Now, we did have the weird play where Jawan Jennings to open the second half. I meant to, like, you know, send you a text, like, hey, because you're a Niners fan. Like, mm-hmm. hey, did Arthur Smith take over the play calling yeah, at halftime? Was, like, what just that happened? That was bizarre. That was bizarre. <laughs> hey, guys, we got to kickstart this thing. Let's hand it to Jawan <laughs> Jennings. To, like, was Christian McCaffrey's shoe missing or something? But uh, anyway, yeah, 93% route participation, man. 30 3% target share for Christian McCaffrey. So look, we don't have to belabor the point. CMC is always a utilization god, also a guy that knows how to uh, rack up the points once you give him set opportunities. But man, it does look like in the playoffs, they're going to be very willing to just be like Elijah Mitchell and Jordan Mason. You guys could just hang out over here on the bench unless there's a fire. And when we, when, when we, and when we say fire, we mean we're blowing out the lines by like 28 points. Then maybe you guys will get a carry. So I do think from a McCaffrey standpoint, uh, you know, they got to win. They want their best guy on the field. And I get it. I have to give Shanahan credit. Uh, Some of these coaches have kind of frustrated me in the playoffs. Uh, Mike McDaniel keeping his same rotation with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, not using them all the time in a game. You're just getting your butt kicked. And, you know, the defense is going, oh, you're just going to you're going to really you're going to send River Craycraft back out here. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, we got we got this game locked. But Shanahan didn't do that. He said, no, the guys that I want to have on the field when we really need them most, we're going to get rid of all these rotations. Uh, Kittle also did not rotate very much. We'll talk about him more in a minute, but uh, obviously the Debo injury does impact some of these things. But yeah, CMC, man, locked in for just huge workloads as far as the 49ers can go. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, obviously it makes sense that during the season you saw a little bit more Elijah Mitchell and or Jordan Mason to keep McCaffrey fresh for yep. this moment, and certainly it paid off for them uh, against the Packers. Uh, Jameer Gibbs, he's still sharing opportunities with David Montgomery, but in terms of production, Dwayne, I mean, you, you mentioned it here, he's doing RB1 things despite an RB2 workload. Yeah, man, and we've got a really good sample now of, of consecutive games where him and David Montgomery have been available. Early in the year, it was kind of a minefield to try to decipher because we had games where some of, where one of them would leave, the other one would come in. We also had a lot of lopsided games. We had a couple of, you know, Gibbs missed a game, David Montgomery missed a game. But now since week 10, all the way through, when, and if you guys use, use the utilization tools, it'll say week 20. That's for the divisional round. Week 19 is wild card. We have to give it a number designation the way these things work. So when you see 19, you're like, week 19, week 20. Well, that's what it's for. 19 <laughs> wild card, 20 is divisional round. And when you look at that, that sample that we have now over the last 11 games, Marcus, you know, he's, only, he's, he's averaging 16.8 fantasy points per game, which is great, but he's only got 41% of the Lions attempts over that over that stretch, averaging 11.2 carries. And you guys can also see this. Like I know when you first go into the utilization tools, you see the percentages, but there's a toggle button at the top right. You hit that and you get the raw numbers because ultimately at the end of the day, that is what correlates most strongly uh, with fantasy points scored. But we use the percentages because we can better forecast, okay, in this kind of game script, how many touches might a player get? So it's really a blend of those team, two things that you need you know, to, to really do the fantasy analysis. But with Gibbs, averaging 11.2 attempts and 4.1 targets over that span, historically, Marcus, that's been a mid-range running back too, someone that would average you 13 to 14 fantasy points per game. But Gibbs, we mentioned already, scoring 16.8. And a lot of that just comes back to, man, he is so explosive. 5.2 yards per carry right now. Like, that's one of the top marks in the league. Yards after contact, he ranks 14th at 3.1. Yards before contact. Now, part of this has to do with the Lions' offensive line, but when you watch Jameer Gibbs and you watch him, like, just kind of slowly pick his hole, but when he hits the accelerator, man, it's really hard to get the right angle on him coming through the hole. And yards before contact, 2.12. That is the second best in the NFL right now in his 10-plus yard attempts. I talk about this one a lot. Um, the ability to create these big plays. You need it for running backs in fantasy, and he is ranked fourth at 15.1%. And obviously, he's very elusive as well. He ranks 11th in missed tackles forced at 21.6%. So he's out there making the most of all of those opportunities. But the one other big thing for him that has been that's worked out really well down the stretch is he's getting more of those carries inside the five. Dave Montgomery's still the primary guy, but Gibbs, when he gets out there and he gets those opportunities, he is punching it in. So he's scored the second most touchdowns per uh, the Lions have scored the second most touchdowns per drive at 31% on the season. And guess what? They run the ball 70% of the time they're inside the five. So even though Gibbs doesn't get all of those, they're so committed to the run. They're so good at getting to the inside the five position. It's still been able to pay off for him. So it's been a nice uh, additive. He's, he's scoring the long touchdowns, but he's still getting to punch in the short ones as well. He's got five rushing towns, right? Five Hello, five rushing touchdowns <laughs> from inside the five since week 10. Uh, I'm very curious what this offense is going to look like in terms of the, the snap share and the touches between you know, next year when you know, yeah. Gibbs, uh, you know, after what he's done, after you know, all the opportunities he's gotten and how well he succeeded, uh, how they divvy things up next year. That's going to be kind of interesting to watch. Hopefully everyone just wrings their hands in consternation and they just, they don't, I don't, I'm not taking Jameer Gibbs. Got right, that so then, <laughs> Same thing we heard this year. Uh, Jameer Gibbs will never pay off a third round pick. You know, I'm so like, then, okay, yeah. I, I hope it's the same mindset. Right. So then we can all, we can all, you know, take advantage of the discount if that's the case. I think Gibbs is a first round pick. 
I, I mean, at the worst case, I think it's high end round two. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think you could I, see him. I think there's an argument you could make based off of all the data that I just shared with you that these also do for regression. Like he's outscoring what he should be getting for the touches. But then it, in order to really do that, you also have to basically say that you don't believe in the talent profile that I just gave you and how much he's outperforming most of his peers. So I, I think he's probably right around where we should expect him to be given the touches he's getting because he's such a good player. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's going to be the key. That's what wins out, the fact that he is just talented and he's been productive with his opportunities there. Um, talked about Christian McCaffrey. We talked about uh, Debo Samuel and, and how he connects to Brock Purdy. Now let's say that Debo can't go this week against the Lions. Uh, for you, what does the 49ers offense look like? Yeah, you know, we like you mentioned, we talked about Brock Purdy earlier, but like, what does this mean for George Kittle? What does this mean for, you know, Brandon Ayuk and so on? And and the one thing I'll say real quick, like to start off, I, I think Ayuk's going to have an absolute freaking monster game. Uh, we talked about this last week with Mike Evans having that 37% targets per route run, then going in to face a Lions defense that's been much more man heavy here recently. And what did Mike Evans do? He went bananas. Well, guess who the leading target earner for the 49ers is against man coverage? Debo's the guy they use against zone, but against man, they go to Brandon Ayuk. He has a now not he's not at the same level as Mike Evans. That 37% targets per route run against man is like that's that's astronomical. So Ayuk is not in that range, but he's still the leader for the team at 28%. That's really strong. I do think he's gonna have a big game. I think he's good for a big touchdown. But if we just look at the at the the splits with and without Debo for this for this season. I didn't go back to last season. Just looking at this season because you know we've had Purdy under center all year. Twenty one percent target share for Ayuk with Debo. Twenty five percent without. So you get a four percent bump. Uh, yards per route run without also goes up three point oh two versus two point seven nine. But really good marks. Period. Kittle also got a nice bump. If you look at him with Debo, eighteen percent target share, twenty two percent without. And this is the kicker for him getting more targets down the field when Debo's out. I don't know that if, if that's like a sticky thing, Marcus, or if that's just variance, but his, his air yards, 20% with Debo, 27% without Debo, and a 3.13 yards per route run without Debo. That is insane for a tight end. So Kittle, Ayuk, I think both get big bumps. CMC, do I need to even talk about it? Like he's, <laughs> CMC's going to get, you know, he's he's going to be the top graded guy on everyone's rankings board this weekend, projected for the most points out of all fantasy players besides quarterback. So there's no real point in belaboring it, but, you know, it's a little bit of a bump, you know, for, for CMC, but nothing huge from a fantasy points per game. The one other guy to mention is Juwan Jennings because he gets to get on the field more often whenever you've got Debo out. It just opens up more snaps for him. And he is typically at a 6% target share, but he gets up to a 12% without Debo. So you're going to need a touchdown for him to come through. But if you're playing in a DFS-style thing, you know, over on DraftKings this weekend, and why wouldn't you go play with DraftKings? Mm -hmm. um, and you're looking for something to kind of make your team different because you're going to have to. There's only four teams available for you yeah. to play. A guy like Jennings, you know, we've seen him come through, Marcus. I mean, you can speak to him. Like, he's a guy that they have looked for at times in the red zone. He's really good out of the slot. And guess what? He is also good against man coverage, which the Lions like to use. So I do think that Jennings is, is kind of a guy that you can think of as a salary saver from a DFS standpoint this weekend. Yeah, you know, we've definitely seen Jennings go out and make plays uh, when they've needed him to. Had a couple of big catches late in that game against the Packers over the weekend. So uh, he definitely steps up. I do think that if Debo isn't there, a lot of those routes he runs, I think, you know, 
McCaffrey, Kittle sort of pick up the slack. Maybe you even see a Ray Ray McLeod. Ray Ray, yeah, gets out there, too. Uh, I didn't mention him. He's he's another good one, though, to mention. He's a punt guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, He gets... Like, he doesn't get a lot of the normal reps, but if they know they want to go to, like, one of those looks where they want him on one side of the field available for a screen or a throw underneath the coverage and then Ayuk on the backside for the man beater, like, I think you will see Ray Ray out for those. Um, He is the guy that kind of takes over some of those touches. He just doesn't get that huge route tree. But he's a guy that can make plays. You know, he could easily cut. I could easily see Ray Ray McLeod if Debo's out coming up with two catches, but one of them going for 30 yards for a touchdown this weekend against the Lions. Yeah, no, that's 100% uh, possible for, for Ray Ray McLeod this week. Um, speaking of wide receivers, we thought maybe Odell Beckham was uh, you know saving his best for the postseason, but uh, apparently that wasn't the case. I had to look a couple times to see if he was even getting out there and running routes. That was how little I saw him involved in what the Ravens did. Yeah, you know, we've been tracking this thing with OBJ for several weeks. You know, he got real hot there for a stretch, even though he wasn't getting more of the work. Like, he was leading the, th- the team in end zone targets, had the highest targets per route run on the team. Hey, even if you narrow this thing down and say, just show me all the snaps this year where we've had Mark Andrews plus Odell Beckham Jr. and Zay Flowers on the field together. Mark Andrews is the number one target, and Odell Beckham Jr. has been the number two target on those plays. And that's with Zay Flowers playing really well. So we know that like the underlying talent seems to still be there, but the Ravens just aren't willing right now to unlock that route participation that we need, Marcus. Uh, last week, the game was out of hand at the end, right, against the Texans. So I just went ahead and isolated down to just the first three quarters of the game. Still, only a 30% route participation. So it wasn't something, and I even looked at it at halftime in the first quarter, didn't matter. He was working behind Rashad Bateman and working behind Nelson Aguilar. Those guys are all three in a rotation, essentially, for the number two wide receiver spot. Zay Flowers, for the number two and three spots, depending on if they're using three or two wide receivers, Zay Flowers pretty much locked into the number one. So it really was disappointing to see OBJ, you know, despite all those things that we've talked about from an efficiency standpoint, still not getting the playing time. And we had kind of hoped that, well, maybe they're just saving him for the playoffs. And I think we kind of got to throw that narrative to the side now. I mean, would any team really go into a game and say, no, we already know we're going to beat the Texans. So when we say we're saving OBJ, <laughs> it's really for next week. I, it's hard for me to make that stretch. You know, I, I think if they were going to suddenly just give Beckham this new role, it probably would have happened last week. Not, not saying it couldn't happen and not saying there's not still positives to trying to swing on an OBJ this weekend, like in a DFS style uh, tournament. But I think it's just hard to jump to the conclusion that, oh, they've just been saving him and suddenly you know, he's going to get more playing time. Plus, we're probably getting Mark Andrews back this coming yeah. weekend. So, so it's just going to be a more crowded offense. Yeah, the Andrews thing is definitely big. And one of the things about Beckham this year, I noticed, like he wasn't always on the field. It just seemed like when he was, they were making a concerted effort to get him the ball. Um, if instead those throws start going to Bateman and to Aguilar and to Andrews and to Likely, uh, it gets really hard to figure out where Beckham fits into this whole offense. Yeah, right and now. for those wondering, it does, it, again, it, determining anything with the Ravens outside of who's going to play quarterback and offensive line. <laughs> uh, and when Mark Andrews is around, he's typically out there, but it's really tough. They, they rotate a lot of players. We'll talk about their backfield here in a minute, but it looks like, tentatively, <laughs> let's put that word in front of it, Marcus, like that Rashad Bateman is the number two right now. Uh, so he gave you a number two. He was the number two in route participation this last weekend at 72% behind Zay Flowers. Nelson Aguilar was close behind at 62%. But if you also add one more data point here, go back and look at week 18, week 18 when the Ravens had everything in hand. Who was the player that they rested? 
it was really Rashad Bateman. Once they got through the first half of that game, they didn't play Bateman, uh, whereas Nelson Aguilar had to play that whole game. So I do think a slight edge to Rashad Bateman as the number two right now in the offense. Nelson Aguilar is the number three, and unfortunately, OBJ really the number four wide receiver right now. So uh, Odell, probably not on your DFS radars unless you're being, you know, maybe a little bit uh, out of the box here this week. Maybe um, a shootout would force it. I think that's the thing you're hoping which for. Which is possible, you know? I guess. Yeah. Although both of these Against defenses the are pretty good, so I'm, yeah. I'm not really sure about that. Uh, two weeks ago, we saw Sam Laporta get hurt in week 18, and we questioned what Dan Campbell was doing and how that was going <laughs> to impact him. And Laporta came back and played against the Rams last week. Really turned it up a notch this past week against the Buccaneers, and he looks like he's back to the Sam Laporta we saw all season long. Yeah, I mean, like the average coach, like these players get these injuries. Like I, I could see Dan Campbell, Marcus. Yeah, he tore his ACL, MCL. Yeah, his timeline's two weeks. He's gonna <laughs> right. be back out there. Like it's just like he's already doing this with the guard. Uh, was it uh, Jackson? Yeah, that had the meniscus injury, saying, "Well, if we get to the Super Bowl, he'll be ready." Like, okay, like Dan Campbell's just this rub some dirt on it, get back out there. And that does seem to be the case with Sam Laporta. It was a little bit rough that first game back uh, in the wild card round. He had that 80% route participation, but he just wasn't himself. You know, he had a 12% target share in that game. He caught a touchdown, but he wasn't as big of a part of the game plan versus what we saw this past weekend. Look much more like his old self had a 27% target share. So Laporta, man, just continues doing, uh, you know, I guess we just call him Sam Laporta things now because <laughs> no other tight end since 2011 has averaged more than Laporta's 13.7 fantasy points per contest. And that's also number four this season behind Travis Kelsey, TJ Hawkinson, and Evan Ingram. So I do think Sam Laporta heading into ne next year is locked into that top three fantasy tight end conversation. Yeah, no, he's very much there. And it's just a matter of you know how early are you going to have to pull the trigger to get Sam Laporta, but I think he's pretty much locked in. Uh, in Baltimore, we know that Lamar Jackson is going to run the football. We know Gus Edwards is going to get some touches there. But uh, you're suspecting that maybe, maybe somebody else is the most valuable running back in the Ravens' backfield? Look, it's a mess uh, because we also have Lamar Jackson, <laughs> who's really, let's, let's be honest, like he's he's the best runner that they have, and he's going to get about 20% of the design rushing attempts. And now you got to split up the rest potentially three ways because we also had Dalvin Cook get into action this last weekend. Now, with Cook, it did not come until the fourth quarter. He had 21% of the rushing share for the Baltimore Ravens this weekend, but he did not have a touch until the very end of the game, and they just basically were resting everyone. So I don't know that we can count on Cook as being part of the rotation. I'm going to give him a small piece in my projections, which I'm working on today for the weekend. I'm still going to project Gus Edwards as the lead running back, but Marcus, I do think this is narrowing and things are favoring Justice Hill. Um, you know, if we look at Edwards, he's averaged 11.3 rushing attempts versus six and a half for Hill since week 16. And I chose week 16 because in week 15, that's when we, when we had Keaton Mitchell suffer the injury. He has not been back to play again this season. Obviously, he's done. So it's a small sample. But if I go back further than that, like I can find more examples of where it was just Gus Edwards and Justice Hill. And it's, it's, it's a mess, man. One week it's Edwards, one week it's Hill. Now, I do think that Edwards, you know, he's led more often than not if you go to the big sample size. But over the last four games, you've had two games where Edwards has led the team from a rushing attempt standpoint and two where Justice Hill has led. Now, over that period, 34% of the attempts have gone to, or sorry, only 22% of the attempts have gone to Hill, 
43% to Edwards. So again, like I said, I'm still going to project Edwards for that slight lead, but it's the role in the passing game, Marcus. 58% route participation since the loss of Keaton Mitchell for Justice Hill. He's also got a 25% targets per route run over that stretch. So the Ravens seem to have found something with Hill. And again, let's see what the defenses do. Do they suddenly decide they're going to worry more about the running backs, you know, for the Ravens than the receivers? They try to take a guy, a guy like Justice Hill away. You are playing a team in the Chiefs. They'll run some man coverage on you. I think there's going to be a chance for some mismatches against those linebackers for Hill. So I do like him. And I, I looked, I went back and I, again, it's a four game sample, so it's small, but I went back and looked historically at both of these backs now for this four game sample. And if you look at Gus Edwards, based on the data, his average comp scored 8.1 fantasy points per game. So essentially you need him to score a touchdown. Now he is getting all the work inside the five. That's the one thing I can tell you about the Ravens. Gus Edwards is going to get the carries inside the five. The other one thing I can tell you about these two backs is that Justin Hill, Justice Hill is going to get the passing downs. How the rushing share is going to work out, can't say for sure. But when you look at Hill and you do his comps, 12.9 fantasy points per game in PPR formats. And really comp to like some of those earlier day Austin Ecklers on the verge of being someone like that. This guy's pretty good in the passing game. Not, not quite as high of a target earner, but he can work down the field. He can hit some of those big plays. He's pretty explosive. So Justice Hill is the guy that I prefer. So I've downgraded Gus Edwards to a touchdown dependent running back four upgraded Justice Hill to a high-end running back three in PPR formats. And in the end, Lamar Jackson's going to run for three touchdowns, and neither one of these guys is going to get much of a sniff uh, of yeah, anything. Yeah. So, <laughs> Thanks for putting so, the disclaimer out there again. Yeah, right, <laughs> you like, can't say that enough. <laughs> right, like it's just that's always in the realm of possibilities uh, with Lamar Jackson for sure. Um, are we done with Jamison Williams? Is it over for him now? Man, it's getting close. Uh, you know, I hate to say that about a player that's only had two seasons and has really not had two seasons. Um, you know, last year he was injured for almost all of the year. This year he dealt with the suspension. But you just have to start to wonder, Marcus, I don't ever want to – you don't want to speculate too much, but, like, is it just something upstairs that's not clicking for Jamison? I don't know if it's work ethic. I don't know if it's comprehension of the playbook. I, I, I don't know. I can't tell you because this guy was a really good receiver in college. Um, you know, had a great final year. Uh, at Alabama after transferring from Ohio State, where, you know, he had to compete with freaking Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. So you can't even necessarily blame the guy for that. But now he's starting to pile up these opportunities where it's like, hey, they want him to step up, and you can just see that it's not happening. Um, he has a 16% targets per route run now on the season. That's not good. That's wide receiver five, wide receiver six worthy. So you would think that a guy like that, that they have so much draft capital in, like even even though he may not have a full-time role, they're figuring out, wait, let's get him the ball. It, it's not happening. They're not doing that. If occasionally they give him the end around, his speed is still there. I think we can see that. But there's something that's just not right here, Marcus. So, yeah, I am on the borderline of just moving on from Jamison Williams. I think you have to come to a point with these guys where you have to stop expecting them to buck their current trend. And typically it's two years for me. I, I, I'm a little bit trying to be a little bit more forgiving with Williams because I don't think it's a full, it's not really a two-year sample, right? Mm -hmm. We're probably looking at a one-year sample, honestly, uh, at this point. But, man, Khalif Raymond missed another game, and he yeah. just couldn't couldn't come through. Um, so that's two games in a row, but this last game only five and a half fantasy points. So when the Lions really needed him to step up, plus Laporta battling the injury, Jamison Williams in two games, man, even with more routes, has not been able to do it. Yeah, no, I mean, look, you've got – 
Amon Ra, you've got Laporte after that. It's some combination, it seems, of, of you mentioned Khalif Raymond when he's healthy, Josh Reynolds. Uh, those are the guys that are getting those targets right now from Jared Goff, and, and Jamison Williams has yet to really break through in any real way uh, in his couple years there in Detroit. Um, speaking of wide receivers who are on the struggle bus, uh, the rest of the Chiefs, not named Rasheed Rice, how did it get this way? I mean, I've, I've gone through there. I know they've drafted poorly. They haven't really hit in free agency. Have they even tried in free agency? I don't know. But it's besides Rasheed Rice, Dwayne, it's pretty bleak there. Yeah, this organization is really interesting. They hit home runs or complete duds. Like, like there, There's nothing in between for them. Skymore, complete dud. You know, Chris Conley back in the day, complete dud. Tyreek Hill, home run. Travis Kelsey, <laughs> home run. So they hit the home runs that are enough, like to keep things going. Rasheed Rice, I'm not going to call him a home run yet, but looking really good, right? Um, but they're not good in free agency. They're not historically good in the draft other than when they just really happen to hit big. Um, but yeah, Marquez, Marquez Valdez Scantling. I remember two years ago when he signed with the chiefs and everyone's like, Oh yeah, Patrick Mahomes <laughs> was number two. And I'm like, Oh yeah, already been Aaron Rodgers is number two <laughs> for multiple years. It ain't happening guys. Uh, you can't suddenly just turn into a high end wide receiver just because you play with a good quarterback. Can that elevate your play? Yeah, it can help you. But if you're not good, it's not going to suddenly make you great. And that's what we've seen with Valdez Scantling. You know, Valdez Scantling, man, this is like Nulo's, Marcus. I think people, when you draft him, you're at least like, you know, he plays Patrick Mahomes. I'll get three spike weeks out of him. No. He had a spike <laughs> game last week. His his best target share of the season, 19%. You're waiting for me to go, ooh, 35%, 30%, no, 19%. That's his best game of the year, and he came through with eight fantasy points. He had two catches down the field, both of which he nearly dropped. He bobbled the one on the sideline. It was a really good catch, contested. But then the deep crosser has his hands all in the wrong position, nearly drops that. I I'm done with MVS. Uh, I I'm with you. I don't know how it got this bad. Justin Watson, just out there running wind sprints, has a target share 9% this year, 13% targets per route run. That's not even a wide receiver six. That's a wide receiver that can't make most teams. Uh, MVS, also a wide receiver that can't make most teams. Targets per route run this season, 10%. Richie James. Uh, 14% targets per route run. And he's a guy that could probably do some damage out of the slot, but that's where they like to use Rasheed Rice. And so he's kind of duplicative. Like if something happened to Rasheed Rice, I think Richie James probably steps up and does okay. Not going to like blow you away. And then the guy we talked about already, Marcus, uh, McCole Hartman. You know, they're having to get him out there because they don't have any speed on offense. Rasheed Rice, despite having all the yak, you know, the explosive plays, he's not a burner. He he beats you underneath, you get him in space, you let him make one guy miss, he gets you another 10 yards. They don't have anyone that can take the top off of the defense because MVS is so unreliable, and I think that's why they're having to try to force Hardman onto the field, Marcus, and he's just this gadget guy that you hope you can get him a, a couple of touches in space and he can use that speed to break one long for you, but obviously... Not good. Last week he had two touches and two fumbles, including one, you know, at the goal line, which uh, turned what would have was about to be a touchdown for the Chiefs into a you know turnover to the Bills at the twenty yard line and kept them in the game. So, yeah, it's really bad, man. I, they're going to have to make some changes here in the offseason. They've got to find a legit vertical threat. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. Regardless of how this season turns out for Kansas City, that's a thing that I think is going to be heavily addressed in the offseason. And uh, we'll see. I mean, you talk about the home runs. Though. I mean, like even Tyreek Hill, was he a fifth-round pick? I mean, he was a fifth-round yeah. pick that they, they brought in mostly as a special teamer uh, with no expectation he was going to turn into the receiver he has become. So even the, the home runs have been sort of accidental 
I think, in a lot of regards in Kansas City. So we'll see. Um, Mahomes has made it work, but it hasn't been pretty a lot this year. So uh, what has been pretty is the utilization report. Go check it out over at FantasyLife.com. Go uh, play around with the tools as well. And as I always say, sign up for the newsletter in case you have not yet. Still coming to your inbox every single day. So uh, look forward to the weekend championship games. Uh, we will have the uh, Chiefs and Ravens first, followed by the Lions and the 49ers. Should be a lot of fun. And uh, this time next week, we will know who is playing in Super Bowl 58. I think it is. L-V-I-I-I. I think it's 58. Um, <laughs> yeah, triple no one, I, 58. <laughs> no, one, no one uses Roman numerals except the Super Bowl and grandfather clocks. Like that's <laughs> <it>. <laughs> So uh, anyway, that'll do it for this edition of the Utilization Report Debrief slash Sheesh Report. Glad you could join us for Ian Harditz, for Dwayne McFarland. I am Marcus Grant. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy football, everybody. And we'll talk to you again real soon.